Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Black Hole Cinema. We're back again for our monthly roundup where we take a look back at the films that were released in the last month. Obviously, you'll listen to this at the end of March, so we'll be taking a look at all the main releases during the month of March. I'm Dan Taylor, and joining me this week is Chris Haig. Hello, Chris. Hi. Hello. You've seen uh, a number of films this month. For you, would you say it's been a good month? Have you want have you been enticed out to the cinema this month? Weirdly, yeah, more than I have been in previous months because there are entire months that go by and I'm like, well, there's nothing on, or it's crap, or that sort mm. of thing. Um, I don't know if it's been a good month necessarily. I'll say it's been a, a big month. I mean, some of the films we're going to talk about are quite um, anticipated one way or another. Mm. So I think it's been quite a big calendar month because it's really kind of March April when they start kicking off all the all the big. Kind of blockbusters. Absolutely. Uh, in part two, we'll also be joined by um, Tony Black, and we'll be discussing Ten Cloverfield Lane, The Witch, uh, High Rise, and of course the Juggernaut uh, that is Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice. But in the first part, we'll be discussing uh, London Has Fallen, Allegiant, and up first, Hail Caesar. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. How long since your last confession, my son? Twenty-seven hours. It's really too often. You're not that bad. Here at Capitol Pictures, as you know, millions of people look to us for information and uplift and, yes, entertainment. And we're going to give it to them. And action. An army of technicians and actors and top-notch artistic people are working hard to bring to the screen our biggest release of the year. Hail Caesar is a prestige picture with one of the biggest stars in the world, Baird Whitlock. A truth we could see if we had, but if we had faith, 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 cut. Hail Caesar follows a day in the life of Eddie Mannix, a Hollywood fixer for Capitol Pictures in the 1950s, who cleans up and solves problems for big names and stars in the industry. But when studio star Whitlock disappears, Mannix has to deal with more than just the fix. It's a Coen Brothers movie. It's got a massive cast, even if some do more than others. Uh, Josh Brolin obviously uh, plays the main role um, of Eddie Mannix. You've also got uh, the likes of Scarlett Johansson and George Clooney. It's, it's a big cast, but for me, there were a lot of people that didn't get an awful lot to do. And the main one is Jonah Hill. He was in, what, one scene? The whole film? Maybe two? <laughs> yeah, I think he was in at the middle and then I think he had a bit at the end yeah. and that was and um, uh, Tilda Swinton, she was she was very good, but again, it's all kind of very mm. fleeting um, kind of appearances. Channing Tatum had a big musical number, and then um, obviously was kind of in the conclusion of the film, as it were. But yeah, was it necessary to have all these big names in it, or you know, could you have had um, kind of nameless faces, as it were, um, 
playing these roles, do you think? Or do you think the actual um, familiarity of these actors were important? Um, I mean, in terms of the structure of the film and everything, I think the I, I get what they were going for, because what they're trying to do is emulate kind of the big studio feel of like the 1940s and the 1950s kind of post his curve, that sort of thing. Um, and it, it was really interesting to see how they were like, oh, okay, so we're just going to take like a little snapshot of each kind of like, stereotypical film. So you had Scarlett Johansson there, you know, as like a mermaid in one film. You had Channing Tate as like a dancing sailor in another. You had this, you had that, that sort of thing. Um, in terms of the big name stars actually being a hindrance or a help, I don't know. I mean, I think this is probably the biggest in terms of the Coen brothers, like um, one of the biggest ones they've done in terms of the big, like, draw names. Mm. Uh, I think maybe since Burn After Reading, which had quite a few, like, there was Brad Pitt in it, and was Francis McDormand and all mm. that sort of thing. I personally didn't mind it. I didn't think it really distracted away from the film because the whole film was this kind of glossy, shiny veneer of, oh, this is what we think Hollywood's like, and this is what it was like back then, and everything was kind of hyped, not exactly hyped up, but kind of um, caricatured and really kind of laid on a bit. So I, I personally think it added to the film. I, um, I I do like in some of them. I mean, like you said, Jonah Hill didn't really get much mm. to do. Tilda Swinton has a kind of semi-significant role in it as two kind of warring gossip mongers. But I, I, I don't mind the fact that they were used kind of sparingly. Mm. Um, necessarily. I mean, if it, if it had been a different kind of film, if it had been something where you could tell they were like, right, well, we need to put a big name in this, just stick. You know, yeah. it's a bit like the whole 12 Years of Slave thing where they stuck Brad Pitt in, and Brad Pitt was all over the mm. posters in international countries, and you're just like, he's in, like, five, ten minutes of the film. He's not he, he's not the big draw mm. here. Um, so, I mean, the film really is kind of, it centres on, like, Josh Brolin, it centres on George Clooney, um, and all these um, kind of Hollywood big wigs. So I, I personally enjoyed the fact that they were like, right, well, we're going to bring you in, there'll be a few weeks of filming and it'll kind of be not exactly a parable, but kind of like, it'll sync the ideas up that, oh yeah, so this is a big Hollywood name mm-hmm. playing a fictional big Hollywood name, that sort of thing. Uh, there have been two camps with this film. There have been people that have loved it and, you know, think it's one of the strongest Coen Brother, uh, Brother films mm. in, you know, in quite a while. And there's the other camp yeah. that I think the only way for me kind of explain it is they didn't get it. It felt like that they didn't yeah. quite get. You know, they. they I've, um, I was uh, listening to um, Mayo and Commode, and they had someone write in that said, "Oh, I chuckled a bit, but other than that." And I was like, "Well, that's kind of kind of the point." You know, you know, it's yeah. it's, a, it's a feel good um, movie. There's it's, it's it's not deep at all. You know, it's it's no. it's very light and and you know and very funny, and it's it's kind of. Very typical Coen Brother, I think, um, film. You know, it's, it's, it's a bit like Burn After Reading in, in that way, in the fact that you've got this humour, even with... It, it's quite ri- ridiculous. He's, he's, he is effectively kidnapped, but they make a complete joke out of that kind of thing. And neither of these people, or none of these people, are very threatening. It's kind of... It's all satire. Um, yeah. And I think... I, I don't know if people went in thinking it was a different movie, maybe. Maybe they were expecting something yeah. different and they didn't get what they went in for. No, no, I, exactly. I think people went in expecting something. Oh, it's going to be like maybe a bit grittier or that sort of thing. But if you actually look at the trailers, you actually look at the way it's promoted, it's basically like a farce or a screwball mm. comedy or something like that. Um, which is, I, I really appreciate it because I'm someone who loves the screwball comedies like the 30s and the mm. 40s and all that sort of thing. So I enjoyed the fact that this was kind of like a modern view on it and in, in the 50s and that. Um, so I get why people might have been a bit polarised by it. I mean, I haven't seen too many Coen Brothers films. I'm, I'm really bad, <laughs> so the other one that I've seen with regularity, which I do really enjoy, is mm. Fargo. I adore Fargo dearly. Um, but I've also seen like, a bit of Burn After Reading and all that sort of thing, so there will be kind of die-hard Coen Brothers mm. fans. Who are, well, this doesn't... You know, in terms of their oeuvre, in terms of like their kind of previous yeah. history... It's not that good. It's not that significant. That sort of thing. I, I think it's worth the, the whole experience was worth it for the scene between Ralph Fiennes' character um, and um, uh, old, I think it's Alden Enterright or something. He plays Hobie Doyle, and obviously he's this oh, Western yes. 
actor that you know he doesn't doesn't really ever speak in in his films he just goes around and he um does his tricks and this is a bit like nowadays you know us casting a um a stuntman in highbrow drama and that's kind of the idea of what they did this they've taken this guy out of who is very popular in the genre he's in but plonking him in a genre that doesn't fit and then you have this scene between um Hobie Doyle and, and the director Lawrence Lorenz or however they decided that they wanted to pronounce it um, and um you just get this funny interaction between them where you've got this director who is trying his damnedest to make it work in the parameters of what he's been told to do by the studio but it's it's almost impossible because this guy just can't act <laughs> all right all right let's try this your line just say it as i say it say your line exactly as i'm mm-hmm. about to okay sure would that it were so simple would that it were so simple would that it were so simple would that it were would that it were so simple 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 would that it would that it were so simple 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 would and it cut like the two minutes of it, and I'm there just like, this is actually really funny because it, it, it's a bit like casting Jason Statham in like Room or somewhere. You're there just like, it just it doesn't work. Jason Statham works in his kind of films, and the you know, Brie Larson and all that sort of thing. They were great in Room and all that sort of thing. But it's just, I, I, I love it as a comedy because it doesn't take itself too seriously. There's no big, deep messages or anything. There's no kind of oh, we're trying to say this about humanity, or we're trying to say this, or that, that sort of thing. It's basically like a, like you said, it's satire. I don't know if I'd quite say parody, but in a way it's almost like a love letter, really, to the studio films of the 1950s before um, all the transition in the 1960s when they became a bit more kind of edgy and less mm. easy and all that sort of thing. Because um, they were very sanitised in the 1950s, so it is really funny to see the facade of these films where everyone's singing and dancing and oh you know you can do this and all that sort of thing and then you come off the set and you realise that nothing's changed in the last 60 years there's still you know there's still scandal and drama and all that sort of thing and it makes it just an enjoyable film I don't know if I'd watch it like back to back and all that sort of thing and I don't know if I'd really recommend it to someone who's like I really enjoyed like Barton Fink or I really enjoyed Three Kings mm. and that sort of thing but if you if you want to go into it as like a fun, frothy, kind of effervescent film and just kind of leave your not exactly your cynicism because it is cynical in parts, but if you kind of want to just enjoy a film about films that doesn't take itself too seriously, then yeah, I I recommend this. I had a lot of fun watching this more than I thought oh. I was gonna. And Josh Brolin, I thought was great in it as well. Um, it doesn't get the opportunity very often yeah. to to be front and center. In, in films these days, you know, he, he has done, but it's, it's been a while since he's been front and centre, very much carried a film, um, which is what he did here. And, you know, even though it's, you know, very light and frothy, as we said, there is kind of this undercurrent running on it where you've got this man where he's he's got this dilemma. Does he does he do what he's got to do as a man to provide for his family? Does he go off and get this high profile, expensive job? Um um, working in the aviation industry or does he go with his heart and you know stay within the film industry which he clearly loves he loves his job as a fixer and you know and and for lots for lots of people you you couldn't think of anything worse than having divas and egotistical assholes walking into your office every five minutes going i can't do this i can't do that but for him he gets this thrill from it um and he mm. enjoys the fact that actually at the end of the day, he has this product that comes out of it. All the work he has to do, even though it's all behind the scenes, there ends up being this film at the end of it, which for him makes all the kind of stress that he has to go through. And even though he's not getting the plaudits um, like the actors do or the directors, he himself knows that in part he was responsible for getting that film into theatres. Yeah, um, I think you're right in saying Josh Brolin kind of needs to be from the mm. I mean, I think, I think wasn't the last one he was like the leader, wasn't it? That god awful old boy remake. Um, 
It might be. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't really follow him. Yeah, he, he's quite often in partnerships. Um, you know, he's one of you know a group of a, 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 yeah. kind of two or three like you know in in the recent you know in recent it's been kind of uh, stuff like Sicario um and Inherent Vice mm. um where he's part of um you know a, a good ensemble of two or three actors um and and I guess to to an extent that's what he is doing still doing here you know he's got George Clooney and you know all the actors that don't get a lot to do that we've mentioned but you know it is kind of those mm. two that kind of lead the film but they're not leading it together they're almost i don't think they have what one scene together maybe throughout the whole film um yeah it's almost yeah. like yeah it's, it's almost like their, their stories are, are two completely different arcs even though obviously they're linked through the fact that obviously it's it's Brolin's character's Ooh. job to make sure that <laughs> the actor is where he's supposed to be. But obviously George Clooney's character, Whitlock, goes off and has this whole little adventure where he's obviously um, kidnapped and etc. And, you know, I don't want to spoil, um, you know, the actual contents of what happens in those meetings, shall we say, um, with his character. Because he has his own little arc kind of going on. But mm. they, yeah, as I said, you know, he, he, they both do very well at, at leading their kind of arcs of the story and as i said i think i think you should do it a lot more overall though is it one you would recommend i would recommend it to people who and this is gonna sound really weird but i would recommend it to people who don't know a lot about coen mm. brothers film because i think the ones who have seen every film are a big kind of you know kind of aficionados of their body of mm. work it, it will be polarising and it will be people going, oh, well, I loved it. Well, I thought it was crap and lightweight and all that sort of thing. But like, like I said, if you want something fun, if you want something frothy, if you want something um, entertaining, then it is good on those respects. And it is, it, it's funny. It's a funny film. Um, and it does it better than a lot of the more traditional, and I say traditional, like uh, inverted quotes here, traditional comedies that are getting yeah. I'm, I'm sure for most of our regular listeners, um, I know that many of those that have watched it, I'm sure will agree. You know, we, we run a poll, as it were, behind the scenes as to find out, you know, what was the most popular film in, in March. And um, for me, unsurprisingly, this this kind of was very high up, if not, I think it's top um, even. Um, so, you know, Black Hole Cinema Faithful, uh, give it a thumbs up. So, you know, it is still in theatres. Mm. Um, even though it's obviously being drowned out by uh, the noise being made by uh, two certain superheroes, but it's well worth a watch, so make sure you check it out. Uh, Mr. Mannix. What's up? The director can't find Baird Whitlock. Somebody slipped it under my door. We have your movie star. Gather $100,000 and await instructions. Who are we? The future. Hello, Bert. Hello, Mr. Mannix. Lawrence, Obi, thank you all for coming. The studio needs your help. Bad Whitlock has been kidnapped. This is bad. Bad for movie stores everywhere. She sings the perfect harmony. Let's spend 24 hours. But we're looking for him. We don't want it in the gossip columns. This is going to cost the studio a lot of money. And that's where you come in. I need some cash. You must have very strong forearms. Is it hard squeezing it like that? It's part of the job, miss. Um, and up next, we've got the review of Allegiant. People think walls separate us. But they also protect us. You know, it's going to be hard getting over the wall. You sure that you want to do this? Go, 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 go! Those people out there kept us in a cage for 200 years. That is not someone I want to engage with. Nothing to worry about. You're safe now. So, Dan, what did you think of Allegiant? Great. <laughs> <laughs> After the earth-shattering revelations of Insurgent, Triss must escape with Thor and go beyond the wall in closing Chicago. For the first time ever, they will leave the only city they and their family have ever known. Once outside, old discoveries are quickly rendered meaningless with the revelation of shocking new truths. Triss and Thor must quickly decide who they can trust as a ruthless battle ignites beyond the walls of Chicago, which threatens all of humanity. In order to survive, Triss will be forced to make impossible choices about courage, allegiance, sacrifice and love. 
for those of you that listened to my review of Insurgent last year, um, will kind of know my general opinions on the Divergent series as a whole. Um, and it, it's something that I, I know a lot of people that I've talked about kind of agree with that at its core, it's a very good idea. Um, and from what I've heard, the books are, are very good. And for me, it could have been a very successful series, but in the kind of parameters of a film, it doesn't quite work. It's also been released at a time where we were almost oversaturated um, with kind of this kind of teen film because you've got The Hunger Games, we've had Harry Potter, we've got Maze Runner, um, all these films kind of all being released kind of within 10 years of each other. So it's it's only fair, really, that you can, you compare and contrast um, these different franchises. And it's inevitable, you do. And... I kind of had the opinion. I think Tony and I both said it last year. It's 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 a poor man's Hunger Games. Um, you've got Shailene Woodley, who's very good in her own right, but she's not Jennifer Lawrence. Um, you've got a Theo James, <laughs> who unfortunately lacks the charisma. Um, his counterparts in, in Josh Hutcherson primarily um, offer and bring to the screen. He's very bland, and there are a lot of good people in this. And, and, and Allegiance, no different. Jeff Daniels is introduced to, to the cast in this one. Um, but you've also obviously got Miles Teller and Naomi Watts um, among them as well, all of whom are, are great actors and have done um, a load of great, great work. And they're almost wasted here. You've got Octavia Spencer as well, who's in this, um, who has about two or three scenes throughout the whole film and was very much the same in Insurgent as well. You've got these... Big name actors who should elevate this film, should elevate this series, but unfortunately doesn't. They're kind of wasted, and because of that, it almost renders their performances you know, meaningless. And what unfortunately happens is, as as I, as I said, we we talked about last year. You've got good ideas here. You have um, the idea of there being these different factions that kind of run society. And basically everybody has strengths and weaknesses within those. At its core, that's a primarily good idea, but unfortunately it doesn't quite work because we don't get to explore this world enough before everything kind of falls apart. Within the first film, everything kind of goes to shit and the second film it gets worse. And in this third film, it gets worse again. And we're introduced to even more of this universe without even really getting to know it. Um, and the characters themselves, you don't root for them, unfortunately. Um, I, I mentioned him already, Theo James, he, he lacks the charisma to bring any kind of um, um, empathy with Ford. You know, you, you don't really care. He's just kind of this muscle on legs um, that runs around shooting and punching and um, hitting everybody that's in his path. And you just think, I don't get it. I don't get it. And you don't understand the love affair between um, uh, Thor and Triss. There's no chemistry between the actors. And so, unfortunately, you just don't care what happens to them. This film itself, I think, for me, probably was an improvement, simply because there was... It seemed a lot, a lot more self-contained. There seemed to be some really good points, particularly between Jeff Daniels um, and Shane Lee Woodley's character. Um, basically, Jeff Daniels plays... Um, a, a chap named David who is the director effectively um, of the outside world because um, the, the world of the first two films took place um, inside the walls of uh, a post-apocalyptic Chicago and basically Triss, Four, etc. have now gone outside this wall um, and met David and the society that kind of exists outside and as you would expect David isn't who he says he is or at least doesn't do what he says he's trying to do and it's all about um Triss's path to achieving a better world and wanting a better life for herself and for those around her and she wants to trust these people she really does because she wants so badly um for them to escape the kind of hell that they've gone through in recent years um, with with Kate Winslet's character, who I I can't remember in, in the previous films and the kind of society that 
was unfortunately flawed and didn't work. And so she really wants to work towards a better world. And she believes this man and this bureau, um, as they call themselves, can achieve that. And unfortunately, it doesn't quite work. And as I said, particularly the scenes between those two are really interesting because they probably are the strongest players in, in the whole thing. What lets it down, obviously, is the, is the action scenes. Um, the CGI is horrendous. You know, there's lots of lens flares and, and all sorts of um, kind of special effects going on that just look cheap. And I think it was it was touted before that if this was this this been a TV series or a Netflix TV series, it would probably be even better. It might have worked. You'd have had time to have gotten to know these characters uh, and wanted to back them and root for them. But unfortunately, because we didn't get that time, because we didn't get. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. To know um, these heroes that we're supposed to root for, it all just feels a little bit pointless. And the fact that it's also done so badly um, at the box office this month and the fact that they've cut the budget for the final film suggests that it's not going to get a decent resolution either. And having come off the back of watching Mockingjay Part 2 last year and that not quite living up to the expectation um, that many people had for it, the worry is that the, 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 this final film is going to be you know, a complete waste waste of people's time and even worse a waste of people's money however i stand by the fact that if it had taken on a different medium it probably would have worked a lot better however in its current form it, it didn't work it doesn't work and if i don't have to i won't be going to see the next one <laughs> this isn't us against us this is us against the people on the other side of that wall they're trying to destroy us where are you going we're saving the city. Shoot her down. Pull up! Before we move on to the final film of um, part one, um, we're going to be taking a, a little sidestep and looking at the box office top ten I actually have two lists. The the first list um, will be looking at February's month top 10 here in the UK, because I thought it was important to take a look back, um, as it were. If we'd had the figures for March, I'd be telling you that as well, but we don't. Um, so uh, the February top 10, um, there's a few in there actually that I'm not familiar with and or, and or haven't seen. At number 10 was A Big Splash. Which didn't, which I don't know of. Uh, don't know if you do, Chris. <laughs> the big, the biggest. Oh, a bigger splash. A bigger splash. No, I don't know that. One. No. No. <laughs> Number nine um, is the forest, um, which I believe um, was that horror film with 
the actress from Natalie, Natalie Dormouth, the one. And that one only took um, well just under a million and a half dollars. Um, so not not much at all. Number eight um, was Triple Nine, uh, which was that kind of heist film. Uh, had a really interesting cast. It was Anthony Mackie, the chap from oh Aaron Paul. That's the one. That was the one I think. Yeah, the yeah. chap from Breaking Bad is what I was going to say. Then I remember his name, Aaron Paul. Uh, Kate Winslet, I think, was in that one as well. It's an yeah. interesting cast, but um, obviously didn't hit the audience's imagination because only took just over two million dollars here in the UK. Number seven, while it jumps up to five, uh, over five and a half million dollars, uh, it was considered a flop at the time and apparently not a very good film either, which was Zoolander 2. <laughs> Obviously, Ben Siller's attempt at trying to remind people that he's funny. Ooh. Number six was a Sony release that really didn't go down very well, um, and that was The Brothers Grimsby. Um, did you see that one? <laughs> um no, I'm not. I really was thinking, oh, I might go say that sort of thing. But it just, it looked kind of unfunny. Yeah. And I was just like, mm, okay. Because when Sacha Baron Cohen is good, he's yeah. really good. But it's just a shame that kind of, he's been he's been making more kind of character mm. pieces, which are great. But he kind of just goes, right, I love this really funny character, do research, like he does, blah, blah, blah. And then he'll just forget about the film actually. <laughs> It needs yeah. jokes. He can't just do right. Well, he's from Grimsey, so it'll talk northern like that, and he'll do this, and he'll do a parody, and you know that sort of thing, which is fine, but it, it doesn't make a funny film. Number five was How to Be Single, which was just Rebel Wilson and Co. I guess maybe I should be able to relate to How to Be Single, but you know, it wasn't really highly. I know it was very popular, obviously, with the female yeah. contingent. Took eight and a half, five million. Eight and a half million dollars um, here in the UK, um, so it didn't do too badly at all. But was uh, Warner Brothers' only uh, film in the top ten for February. Number four, I actually thought this would be a little bit higher, um, and that was Dad's Army. Oh, it took twelve million dollars. Oh, yeah, I thought, I thought it would be. I thought it was one of the kind of um, tentpole releases of, of, of February, um, and considering the fact that it was released the earliest out of anything else on the list um i expected it to be higher um but but it did well for itself um and the top three um um, i'm sure the number one releases is no surprise but number three was goosebumps um which was obviously was the jack black um adaptation of the uh, was it a tv series and a book series uh oh i don't know i I'm not. Uh, it was definitely a book series. I can't remember if it was a TV show. Yeah. There used to be a, a kids TV show, and it used to be really scary. Yeah. I can't remember what the hell the name of it is, but um, yeah, apparently it was a TV show. Yeah. What it was. It might, it might be Goosebumps that I watched. Yeah. 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 Um, that was tw- so that took twelve and a half million dollars, and not too bad at all. Number two, anyone that listened to the last podcast knows how just disgraced I am that this film took as much money as it has, took nearly $23 million here in the UK, and that's Alvin and the Chipmunks, The Road Chip. Oh, God. Which definitely means there'll be a number five um, instalment of the of the franchise. I know they're easy films to make, aren't they? I think that's the, that's the point here, and um, I think kids do enjoy them. It's just, unfortunately, I, I just thought we'd gotten to a point now where they were releasing films that adults wouldn't mind going to see as well. You know, obviously Disney and Pixar are very good at, at, at releasing films that actually adults almost take more enjoyment from than children. You know, Inside Out, yeah. Good Dinosaur, etc. You know, in recent years, and you know, e- even Frozen. As much as it now irritates everybody on the planet, um, at the time, <laughs> everyone almost universally um, enjoyed. But and then Alvin and the Chipmunks comes back out of the woodwork and reminds you that um, no, there are still people making really, really simplistic films. Um, but never mind. Uh, number one, as I said, probably wasn't any surprise to anybody uh, if you listen to my um, top ten uh, last time out. Then it actually came number three, I think, um, out of everything that was released between October and February. And that so this number one is Deadpool took $53 million, which is a ridiculous amount of money. Um, did you get a chance to catch Deadpool, Chris? I have just seen it like mm. in the past few days. Yeah. Uh, 
and I, I, I enjoy it. I get why people like it, and it is very funny and all that sort of thing. Yeah. I don't know if I'd like, you know, buy it for home release. Yeah. I don't know if I'd buy it as a streaming thing. But in the cinema, yeah, it was it was funny. I went with friends. There was it was have quite a lot of jokes. Ryan Reynolds is he, he's probably oh, this is not me besmirching Ryan Reynolds. I think it's the role he was kind of born to play. Yeah. Because it fits his, like, I've seen him on talk shows and everything, and he is one of those people who does have that kind of, mm. that sense of humour, and that kind of wit and charm and all that sort of thing. And it's really nice, to be honest, to see him in a film uh, that kind of does service to it, because he doesn't really get, like, lead lead roles no. a lot. Usually it's part of the lead ensemble, that sort of thing. Um, and the last time was uh, Green Lantern, Let Us Never Speak of It Again. Yeah. But... Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it, and literally every like every one at work who's been like, oh, I saw Deadpool. How, what was it like? Oh, it was really good. Oh, I saw it. So it seems to have quite a. It's strange for a film that was stuck in development hell for a few years, and you know, execs must have thought, oh, it's quite niche, it's quite weird, all that sort of thing. It's become the kind of the dark horse darling of the comic book world. Yeah, and it, it's kind of an, an antithesis to stuff like. You know, like um, Age of Ultron, all that sort of thing, where it's a big, 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 overblown epic. And this is basically mm. him and uh, the very talented, what is her name? I want to call her Vanessa, but what's the character's name? It's uh, Marina Baccarin. Um, and she's great in it, she's really funny in it, um, which is kind of refreshing, really, because love interests, a, a lot of them in uh, Marvel movies are there just to be like pretty and a bit spunky and all that sort of thing. But she's actually like, funny. She gets like a good percentage of the jokes herself, uh, which is refreshing and it is um, enjoyable. So yeah, I would you know, recommend people go see Deadpool, that sort of thing. It's, yeah, it's a good film. Um, so that's the top 10 for February and the weekend results from the weekend just gone so the uh, end of March uh, which was the 25th and 26th and 27th I think what day, I can't even remember what day of the week it is today, that's what bank holidays do to you so all I can bring you is the results from last weekend uh, so that was the weekend, the 18th to the 20th of March, uh, that's the most up to date figures that have currently been released by the BFI um, at number 10 one I, I've not even heard of at all, uh, and that's Kapoor and Sons um, it was distributed by 21st Century Fox um, and took just under £200,000. Uh, At number nine, uh, was in the uh, released in February, which was Grimsby, um, just over £200,000. Number eight, uh, we reviewed it at the start of the show, and that's Hail Caesar. Um, that one uh, brought in just under £400,000 uh, that weekend. Number seven, uh, we just chatted about it, and that was Deadpool, still bringing in money, um, brought in just under, uh, or just over, rather, half a million pounds uh, last weekend. Uh, number six, uh, we'll be reviewing in part two, um, and that's High Rise, and that one took uh, 500, uh, 542,000 uh, studio now release. Uh, number five um, is The Boy, um, that one took... Uh, 726,000 um, an entertainment pictures release number four uh, we've already reviewed it the Divergent series Legiant uh, that one took 771,000 uh, pounds number three um, will be the film that we'll be reviewing next uh, and that's London Has Fallen uh, that took just over a million pounds Another review for, for part two, and that's 10 Cloverfield Lane. That's at number two. That took just over 1.5 million last weekend. And at number one um, is Kung Fu Panda 3, which took 1,740,695 pounds. Before we close out part one, uh, we better review uh, Gerald Butler's latest outing in London Has Fallen. Of a presidential race, sir. Every day the same damn joke. What the hell they make you out of? Bourbon and poor choices. With security at unprecedented levels, this isn't just a gathering of the world's most powerful leaders. It is the most protected event on earth. Welcome to London, Mr. President. What's wrong? Nothing. Bugs the hell out of me. Get down! 
attack has decimated the British capital. After the British Prime Minister has passed away under mysterious circumstances, all leaders of the Western world must attend his funeral. But what start out as the most protected event on Earth turns into a deadly plot to kill the world's most powerful leaders and unleash a terrifying vision of the future. The President of the United States, his formidable Secret Service head and British MI6 agent who trust no one are the only people that have any hope of stopping it. Dun, dun, dun. So for anybody that saw Olympus Has Fallen, um, which was the first in the franchise, uh, we'll, we'll really know what to expect. And that's just guns and explosions and Gerald Butler running around like a headless chicken, killing everybody in his path. Um, meanwhile, he has um, the president of the United States, played by Aaron Eckhart uh, in tow. Um, and Morgan Freeman pops up every now and then um, as um, I didn't think it was the vice president in the first film, but he does seem to be the vice president in this film. Um, I thought in the first film he was like Speaker of the House or something. Um, so he's obviously been promoted to VP in this film. I might be wrong. I'm sure I'll be corrected. Um, for me, I watched this after watching Hail Caesar. So two completely different films. Um, and it was exactly what I expected it to be. No frills, no, no, no serious plot, even though obviously trying to kill all the world leaders is pretty serious. Um, but, but other than that, um, it was exactly what I expected it to be, which was just mindless fun. And I came out of it and I did enjoy it. I know people have absolutely shat on this film. Um, and I think it's got like a 28 out of 100 on Metascore. Um, and IMDb, it's, it's performed awfully. Um, but the fact that it still took over a million um, pounds in, I think it was its second or third weekend of release, um, means that people do want to see this kind of film. Um, and it is simple and it is just um, kind of a release from what is actually going on um, in the world. And for that reason, I think it has a place. Um, what did you think? Did you enjoy it? I didn't mind it. I mean, like I've seen Olympus has fallen on Netflix and, you know, I, I get the whole thing with Gerard Butler and, you know, Martin Freeman and Aaron Eckhart and all that sort of thing. Um, I, it's weird because this to me is kind of like a perfect example of the great 80s movie revival. So like my dad and brother will happily sit through, um, kind of shit-tastic films, a bit like Delta Force with Chuck Norris and all that sort of thing. And it reminded me of this in the, it is literally, it's not even high octane, it's literally action, 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 a tiny bit of character, not even development, but it's more just so the can't say it was a, you know, 100 minute punch fest or explosion mm. fest, that sort of thing. Um, I don't mind it, I do enjoy action movies, I do enjoy high octane films, so I didn't, I didn't love this, but I, I'm really trying to find the best way to say it. I wouldn't mind not having seen this, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, I, I'm not sad that I saw it, but then I'm not happy either. I'm like, ah, oh, it, it, it was what it was. It was yeah. kind of, in a way, it was, I, I, I say it inoffensive, but in a way, it kind of is. Yeah, there has, there has been a, a fair bit of controversy that yeah. it's, 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 it's offensive in the fact that, you know, you've got these... Um, you know, with everything that is going on in the world at the moment, you know, you've got these people um, in the Middle East and, um, you know, they're, they're just seen as these kind of mindless kind of terrorists, these mindless thugs. Um, but actually, they don't shy away from the question that who is the bad guy? Um, you know, even though it is this big American dream man shooting and blowing crap up and end up winning the day and probably getting the American badge of honor or something. Um, you know, even though it is all those things, it doesn't shy away from the fact that it does say, well, we actually dropped the bomb in the first place. You know, Mm. we, we, we were kind of responsible and we kind of brought it on ourselves as it were. While obviously that's not true either. It, it does, it does try and question 
who is right, who is in the right, you know, who is good, yeah. who is evil. Um, and while it, in the kind of, uh, well, second half of the film, while obviously it's very clear that um, apparently the enemies are supposed to be this um, Middle Eastern family um, who are going around killing everybody that's important in the modern world, um the fact is it, it does answer those questions in the very beginning and towards the very end of the film you know who is good who is bad yeah i mean that's the thing in that i kind of compare this to kind of cause there are, there's been a spate of presidential films because this was released like three months before white house now which i kind of prefer yeah channing Tatum and jamie fox have a better chemistry really um and it reminds me a lot of uh, one of my favorite ever guilty pleasure action which is air force one Mm, um, yeah, and it's uh, it, it, that's the thing in that you do have these twists and you do have these turns and thinking oh it's also the hero here who's the baddie and all that sort of thing but the other problem is, is that if you watch any modern spy film they never play it straight anymore um, yeah. so literally every, there's always you know going into like a spy thriller or you know like a political thriller that sort of thing it's like oh there's going to be three or four twists and so and so is going to be good and so and so is going to turn out to be evil and all that sort of thing um, and sometimes they can be done with kind of a lack of finesse they can be done as oh yeah I totally knew he was going to turn out to be that guy I totally knew she was going to be a hero or a villain or whatever um, mm. I just I walked out the cinema thinking oh okay I've seen it and all that sort of thing but I just wasn't moved by it I definitely no. didn't watch it again and that's not it's not a disservice to the people who made the film but it's just a bit it felt a bit unnecessary so i don't know where they're going mm. from here it's like yeah. what, what are they going to do next earth has fallen or, <laughs> I, I don't know europe has fallen or christ knows what they'll do because yeah. they're slowly escalating it and i don't know if they're trying to make this into like an anthology series or a, you know a, an actual kind of franchise where it's like oh okay that sort of thing but I, I, I don't know. Um, I like the actors in it, Angela Bassett, who I have huge respect for. Yeah. I do love her. I uh, un- unfortunately, she's not in the film a lot. So no. I was just like, oh, oh okay. All right, well, she's not going to be in it either. Huge amount. Uh, Morgan Freeman's always good, although I can't help but feel that at this moment he's there just like phoning stuff. Oh, in. So no, yeah, he's very yeah. Okay, So it's like when he was in. Alright, so film. Some films like Lucy, where he was in it for a good third of the film, you can tell he's there just on autopilot. He's there just like, yep, okay, be kind of kindly and a bit mad and a professor and all that sort of thing. Um, and it's a shame, really, because he's not really been given any, like, a vehicle, really. Because no. He is a fantastic actor. He's a very much beloved actor. Um, and it would be great to see him do something that stretches his kind of acting muscles a bit because all he does uh, these days he ends up in kind of genre films so he was like in Danny Cini and he's been in Lucy and he's been in you know various films for like 20 minutes at a pop and all that sort of thing um and then doing some comedy like he did Last Vegas which I saw and I was like it's eh, alright yeah uh, <laughs> but um I don't know about London's Fallen it's the film that I see for this this show that I'm completely not, not even ambivalent towards. I'm like, it's okay. Mm. Um, and you know, like you said, it is kind of escapist bit because if you look at the news, it's it's not nice no. in the world at the moment by and large. I, you know, I believe the world is largely in a good place, but when you look at the news, you get so depressed. You're like, oh god, we're all dying and all that sort of thing. So films like Olympus has fallen and London has fallen. They are kind of escapist vehicles for people to kind of be like, yeah, well, there's always going to be some hero out there who kicks our ass, and there's always going to be that sort of thing. So we take comfort in that. So people mm. who go into it and they just have fun, and they're like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. But I know people who will love them, and they're like, yeah, it's great. It's a just a fun thriller. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. That's that, that that's perfect. Yeah. I'm not going to take it away from them, the fact that I just wouldn't watch this again so no but i don't necessarily think that's the point um i yeah i think it is one of those films that you see once and you enjoy and you know you, you go along for the ride and that's fine it's not it's not going to be a short shank redemption that you're going to watch yeah. several times in the future it is what it is and it's it, it's simple it's escapist and it you know it does what it says in the tin you know it's what's going to happen london literally does fall 
Um, and, <laughs> you know, there, there's no surprises. And, you know, while obviously because um, modern audiences, I guess, are um, a little bit more switched on, they've kind of got to do those twists and turns and they've got to make you question. Like, I thought I thought Colin Salmon was the baddie all the way through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, there's something not, not, not right about Colin Salmon. He's looking a bit looking a bit fishy. But, you know, you, they've got to make you ask those questions and, and, and distrust um, what you what you see on screen because with the exception of um mike banning and, and the president um everybody else is could easily be a bad guy <laughs> you don't let them take me if it comes to it i want you to kill me that's an order london is just the first stop just imagine every major city descending into chaos your president dies tonight um, so London has fallen. As I said, if you, if you want to go and escape, um, then you can go and see this. It is still uh, in cinemas here in the UK. Um, I know it was released um, early March in the US, but I'm sure it's still um, out and about in theatres as well. Oh, my God. And that's all we've got time for in part one. Um, we'll be back for part two uh, in the next few days. So make sure you subscribe to us on um, uh, iTunes. Check us out on ACAST and follow us there. Uh, you can go to us on Twitter, obviously, at Black Hole Cinema. We've also got a Facebook as well um, to be updated when episode two, or part two, rather, will be released. Thanks for joining me, Chris. Oh, thanks for having me. That's no problem. I'll be back for part two for reviews of High Rise, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, The Witch, and obviously Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Until next time... Thank you for listening. Getting slow in my old age, Alfred. Even you got too old to die young. Not for lack of trying. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.